Hello and welcome to Dedicated Packers, the podcast where we do cover the Green Bay Packers. And we don't cover anything else. Let's go. All right, hello and welcome back to Dedicated Packers. It is Sunday, January 7th. I am recording this about five hours after the game at Lambeau Field finished between the Packers and the Bears. I'm recording this in my grandpa's car after we drove back to Chicago from Green Bay after that game. And man, what a game it was. Before I I jump into the game, I want to say, first of all, thank you, grandpa, for lending me your car. Thank you, Grandpa, for coming to the game. You made it 20 times more awesome. If you're listening out there, I love you. It was awesome having you there. Dad, you're listening. Awesome having you there, too. Uh, Kenyon, Lauren, awesome having you two there, too. All of you made the trip a blast, and I had a just general blast. But the thing that made the trip the most enjoyable was the fact that the Green Bay Packers won. And that is the most important thing. Well... I'm not going to say the Packers are more important than family, but, you know, maybe it doesn't need to be said. Let's talk about the game. So before the game, a little bit of news, a lot of news, actually, on the inactives front. The Packers had a long, long, long injury report going into the game, and some of it was cleared up, some of it was not. So Musgrave, Luke Musgrave and Emmanuel Wilson were both activated off of IR before the game on Saturday. David Long Jr. was released, and Rudy Ford moved to the IR. So... Luke Musgrave, Emmanuel Wilson were back, and the corresponding moves had to be that David Long Jr., cornerback, was released, and Rudy Ford went to the IR. Additionally, on Saturday, we learned that Grant DuBose was elevated. His elevation adds depth to that receiver room, and as we'll talk about, I guess, right now, his elevation was probably mostly due to the fact that they expected Christian Watson not to play, and... Everyone was pretty shocked about Christian Watson being inactive. So, spoiler alert, he wasn't active. By the way, if you feel like I'm I'm shivering, I am shivering. I probably should have brought a jacket out here. It's it's pretty cold. But we're going to fight through this just like the Packers fought through that game. It's not shocking to me that Christian was inactive. It seemed like to most people, I guess it seemed like a sure thing that he was going to play. He practiced on Wednesday and Thursday, didn't practice on Friday, but Matt LaFleur said that was part of the plan. They felt like the best chance of having him play Sunday would be, or the best, the best path to having him play Sunday would be having him rest on Friday. So we didn't practice on Friday, but practice Wednesday, Thursday, everyone seemed like they thought he was going to play. I was never so sure because the last time we saw this was back in week three with the hamstring injury. Watson practiced, I want to say Wednesday, didn't practice Thursday and then practiced Friday. And then he was held out of the New Orleans game. So I wasn't super shocked that he was held out of this game. Now, the good news for us going into the game against Dallas, who, spoiler alert, they are going to be playing this weekend, that we already know, so they're going to be going to Dallas in the playoffs after an incredible win today. The good news is, back in week three, after Watson was held out of the New Orleans game in week three, they went into, just four days later, a Thursday night game against Detroit in week four. Watson did play in that game. So it does... If I had to guess, I would guess he suits up for for Dallas. That's what it seems like anyway. Other sort of inactive injury news that we got before the game. Dontavian Wicks, active. Jaden Reed, active. Luke Musgrave, active. Elton Jenkins, active. Preston Smith, active. And Emmanuel Wilson, 
active. All of those guys would suit up, which was awesome. And the Packers really needed all those guys. So let's actually, let's just jump into the game right now. Quick summary of the game. The Packers are going to the freaking playoffs. Let's go. Woo. Close game. 17 to 19, low scoring game. The Packers offense had a bunch of success and the scoreboard would not indicate that. I think 17 points, with the way that Packers offense played, it is, 17 points is the bare minimum of points they could have. I don't know how you could go six drives getting to the 50 yard line or further and only put up 17 points. So Packers offense had tremendous success despite only putting up 17, but the defense they played their part. Man, did they play their part. One heck of a job from the defense. Holding any team to nine points is one hell of an accomplishment in the D. From the front to the back end to, I'm going to say it, Joe Barry, the D played damn well today. It's got to be said. Okay, let's jump into notable plays. So as I, I'm noticing tends to be the case, most of the notable plays end up being pretty negative. So Regardless, we're going to have to get through it, listen to my negative notable plays, and then we can talk about all of the positives. So the negatives in the notable plays, first was the Anders missed field goal. So the Packers, the Bears have the first drive of the game. They go down, kick a field goal. Packers, they get the next drive. What do they do? They go down, get into field goal territory. Romeo Dobbs just drops a touchdown. I'm not, I mean, it's tough to call it a drop. It was a very, very tough catch, but goes up, almost makes a catch on a great throw from Jordan Love, has the ball, but... It just gets jarred loose as he hits the ground. So Packers stall. Anders goes out for the field goal after the, on the next play. Jordan Love gets sacked, actually, which was tough. Probably knocked. I, I, I will say, if Jordan Love doesn't get sacked there, Anders probably hits the field goal. But regardless, Jordan Love gets sacked. Then Anders goes out there and misses a field goal. It's not that notable, but I just thought it was worth mentioning because we're going to talk about Anders after the notable plays. Second notable play, Packers couldn't get a field goal before half, and I just want to talk about how egregious the entire clock management was at the end of the first half, and funnily enough, it seems to be a theme with these Shanahan coaches. So, going out, going, so what happened was the Bears got the ball towards the end of the half, not quite at the end, and they end up stalling, they end up, I believe, kicking a field goal at the end of the half. What happens right before they kick the field goal is Justin Field gets sacked to end their drive and Matt doesn't call a timeout at that point which resulted in I don't know 40 seconds of clock being burned it burnt a ton of time so uh, first of all I think Matt should have called a timeout there then regardless Packers get the ball they start driving but they start driving while unnecessarily I might add wasting time first of all Tucker Craft had one play where he should have gotten out of bounds and instead decide to cut up field yeah he got an extra I don't know, six, seven yards, but Matt LaFleur had to burn a timeout because of him. Another play where Tucker Craft tried to get out of bounds and couldn't quite get out of bounds, got tackled inbounds. Another play where, well, actually the last, well, let's just say another play, Packers, they still finished and had a, did a good job moving the ball. Packers get down into Bears territory. Jordan Love, this is the other play I was I was talking about. Jordan Love drops back, tries to throw an end zone shot. And at that point, you kind of had to. There were 16 seconds left on the clock. It was end zone shot territory. But this was a dumb end zone shot from Jordan Love. He tries to hit Malik Heath in the end zone, but he's trying to throw it between two guys. Not a good throw. Almost gets picked off. The only reason it wasn't picked off was because the Bears defender couldn't secure the ball going to the ground. So at that point, 11 seconds left. For the Packers at the Bears 20 is after 20-ish yard line after Jordan Love just almost threw an interception. And this is the play that killed him. Jordan Love 
throws an out route to Dontavian Wicks. Except what happened was Dontavian Wicks' forward progress was stopped before he went out of bounds. So he was moving backwards as he went out of bounds. What happens, or when that happens, the clock runs. If you are moving backwards out of bounds, the refs deem your forward progress stopped, and the clock runs. And so the refs ran the clock, and that is the right call. I'm going to criticize the refs a little bit as we go forward into these notable plays, but that was the right call there. Unfortunately, 11 seconds was not, or 11 seconds minus however long the play took, was not enough for the Packers to get a field goal off or spike the ball. They end up going into the half with zero points. How could you do, well, that entire drive better? Tucker Kraft has to get out of bounds twice on that drive. Matt LaFleur could have called the timeout at a better time after Justin Fields got sacked. And then, most importantly, on that last play, I think Jordan has to throw that ball out of bounds. And if you're Dontavion Wicks, you can't let your forward progress be stopped. That being said, I do think that out to Dontavion Wicks is probably the least egregious play well, not the least egregious player of that drive in general, but of the plays that people are criticizing from a from a time management standpoint, that is probably the least egregious. So I just think that entire drive was a disaster show and a complete display of what not to do. Other notable plays, the Jordan Love fumble. Now, following a defensive stop, the offense is driving. They were up, I think they were still up. No, they weren't up. They were up 14 to to six at that point. And the offense gets the ball. They have a chance to really put some uh, real pressure on the Bears. First quarter, or not first quarter, third quarter coming to an end. Packers can go down, score a touchdown. And the offense is driving. They get to midfield. Then Jordan Love takes, uh, uh, I think it was an RPO. And he pulls the ball back on the RPO. And I think he was looking for some sort of screen or a quick slant or something from a receiver. But nobody ran the route there. So Jordan kind of thinks, uh-oh, what am I going to do? What he ends up doing is seeing an opening on the right side of the field. So, naturally, he takes the opening. He tucks the ball. He starts to run. But what Jordan Love has a kind of bad habit of doing is instead of just getting to the sideline, is angling towards the sideline, but then putting his foot in the ground, cutting up inside defenders, and getting upfield. And that worked great on fourth and one against the Saints back in week three against Demario Davis, where you're on the one yard line. You're not really going to fumble. But he fumbled with this cutback maneuver against the Giants, and he fumbled against the Bears. He tries to cut back, gets chased down from behind, the ball gets knocked out, and the Bears recover. Honestly, I'm just really, really, really happy that play didn't end up costing them. And all I'm going to say, if you're Jordan Love... If you really want to cut back, put two hands on the football. But in general, I would advise against cutting back. I would say, if you really want to not slide, just get to the sideline, man. And if you really, I don't know, if you really want to run that ball in general, just slide. Slide would be the biggest piece of advice I can give to Jordan. Slide or put two hands on that football because those fumbles cannot keep happening. We've seen it twice now this year. Don't do that. You can't do that. Jordan. So that was another play I wanted to mention. Another play I wanted to mention was a DJ Moore catch. It was, I think it was third down. It might've been fourth down, but I'm pretty sure it was third down. And what happened was, you might notice I'm recording this after the game. Thoughts aren't fully together, but 
it was an exciting day, exciting game, right? Can't blame me. So DJ Moore had a catch over the middle, and this was at a pretty crucial time. Packers up probably 17 to, to 9 at the time. Bears were driving. Maybe it was 14 to nine, 14 to 6. Regardless, the Bears were driving. They're at midfield. If the Packers can stop them there, there's a good chance the Bears punt, and then the Packers can get the ball back really start to control the game. Unfortunately, DJ Moore gets wide open over the middle of the field. One of the only times, and this is a credit to the defense in general, one of the only times I saw Bears receivers wide, wide, wide open, but DJ Moore gets, for NFL standards, wide open over the middle. Justin Fields throws a low pass. DJ Moore goes down, and it looks like he makes the catch cleanly, except upon review, it doesn't exactly look like a catch. It looks like both the nose of the ball and the back end of the ball hit the ground at different points, which helped him secure the quote-unquote catch. That should never be a catch, in my mind. If any part of the ball hits the ground and as a result helps the receiver secure the ball, it should not be a catch because they're not catching the ball. They're using the ground to secure the ball. That is not a catch. That being said, the refs called it a catch on the field, and I guess they didn't feel like there was enough evidence in the various angles that they got when they were looking at the review, I guess they didn't feel like there was enough evidence to overturn the call. I think it wasn't a catch. I think, honestly, if you ask the refs right now and you said, forget about the call on the field, what is, what, was it a catch? They'd say no. But they called it a catch and it was close. Uh, probably just not enough evidence to overturn that play. Again, like with a lot of these plays, Packers are just lucky it didn't end up coming back to bite them. Another play with the refs, actually the last notable play I want to discuss, was the Bo Melton touchdown, no touchdown. This was another very, very close one. And let's just, let me just set the stage what happened during this play. So Jordan Love in the pocket, Packers, it was third and, it was either third down with some distance to go or third and goal. The Packers, regardless, they were near the Bears end zone and Jordan Love on third down throws a pass into the end zone to Bo Melton. Now, the throw from Jordan, an absolute dart. We'll talk about Jordan. Of course we will. But the question was, was it a catch? And what happened was Bo Melton bobbled the ball. He did not have the ball as he first hit the ground. However, the ball never touched the ground either. And as he started rolling over, he did secure the ball. However, at the very end of the play, when the ball is for sure secure, his leg is on the ground. And at the very beginning of when he starts to roll over, just his back's on the ground and the ball is not secured. So the question is, at which point in his roll did he secure the ball? If he secured the ball at a point in his roll where none of his body is touching out of bounds, the only parts of his body are touching inbounds, then it is a catch and a touchdown. If the ref's rule, he secured the ball at a point in his role where part of his body was touching out of bounds, then it is not a touchdown. It is an incomplete pass. This, in the end, is another call that I thought the refs got wrong because I thought in the middle of his role, there was definitely an argument to be made that he secured the ball at which point only his back was touching the the inbounds area of the field and nothing was touching out of bounds. So in my mind, that should be a catch. And what's especially weird is initially they ruled it incomplete on the field. Refs got together, talked a little bit, then they ruled it a touchdown. So the official ruling on the field was a touchdown. I 
felt like it's a catch in general, but I definitely do not feel like there was enough evidence to claim that he didn't have the ball secured before he touched out of bounds. Apparently, the refs did feel like there was enough evidence to claim that because they decided to overturn the call, call it incomplete. Yeah, I don't. I disagree with this call again. This call I disagree with, the Bo Melton touchdown, that is. I disagree with the DJ Moore catch. I, yeah, those were two egregious plays from the ref that I disagreed with. And in general, I don't think the refs were very good today. I think on the whole, some of their calls, including the one that I didn't even discuss, which was a garbage fourth down spot where the Bears tried to do a QB sneak on fourth down and in from my vantage point were totally short. Yet the refs gave them a gorgeous spot. They were so generous to the Bears with that spot and somehow managed to give them a first down. Whatever. I think there were a lot of ticky-tack calls from the refs today, and I did think it was overall bad. And I I mean, it's not shocking with when Carl Jeffers is, is the crew leader for the refs. Not shocking that the calls were bad. That being said, it wasn't anywhere as egregious as some of the, the referee debacles that we've seen this year. And I will give the refs credit in general for letting things play out because yes, there were some bad calls on, on catches and whatnot. To be fair, nobody really knows what a catch is, but the refs did do a good job. They didn't call too much PI. I don't think they called any PI at all. They called holding only a couple of times. I think both times on the bears and they didn't even call personal fouls on either side, despite some plays where other ref and crews would have called personal fouls. So luckily, Green Bay survived these notable plays that I wanted to mention. Now, let's get into the more fun stuff. Notable play. Well, actually, sorry. My first notable player is not so fun. It's Anders Carlson. And I just want to say about Anders, there is no reason for the Packers to keep trusting Anders. Actually, scratch that. There is a reason for them to keep trusting Anders, and that is that they have no other great options. That is why he will continue to kick for the Packers this season. But after this season, competition had better freaking ramp up in training camp because there is no way that Anders Carlson should just be given the job out of camp next year. They are very lucky he didn't cost them today. They are very lucky he hasn't costed them in other games this season. And you could argue in that Pittsburgh game, I definitely think you can make the case that he did cost them. So, Anders Carlson, I'm not going to say anything about cutting him. Kickers take some time, whatever. But there should be competition and not just cute competition where they draft a, not draft a kicker, don't draft a kicker, where they bring in some, some scrub from the XFL and say, hey, kick with Anders, let's see who wins. No, there should be real, legitimate competition where Anders is going out and having to fight for his job every single day in training camp. That's where I'm at. You can't trust him. That being said, okay, now let's actually move on to the positives. I I promise we're going to talk about positives. So let's talk about three receivers. I have three notable players that are receivers. Their names, Dontavion Wicks, Jaden Reed, and Bo Melton. And I'm going to start with Dontavion Wicks because this was the Dontavion Wicks show. The last Packers game I attended, Christian Watson breakout game. Three touchdowns, 100 yards, awesome game from from Watson. This game, Wick said, let me try to match that. He didn't quite put up two touchdowns, something like 61 yards on six catches, but man, how sweet those catches were. First of all, obviously had the two touchdowns. Um, the first one, nice little route. I haven't gone back and watched the game yet. Again, I'm, I'm recording this just as soon as I 
got back from the drive home from Green Bay. So I haven't rewatched the game yet, but Wicks got a lot of separation on that crosser. I'm assuming he did something well. Caught a touchdown there. Second, so that so let's assume he created some nice separation there. That is one aspect of Wicks's game that I love. Actually, my favorite aspect of his game. It's his easy, it's his ability to create easy, fluid separation. His second touchdown shows sort of a second part of Wicks' game that I really, really like. It was his release off of a slant, quick slant. So nice release. He has an awesome release. Gets quick separation on the release, catches the ball, and then drives his way forward, powers his way forward into the end zone for a touchdown. Boom. Two catches, two touchdowns there for Wicks. But the most impressive play to me wasn't one where he, you know, had this ridiculous route and had this guy totally lost. It was a screen pass where Jordan Love swung it out and the Bears had it pretty well defended. They had a defender. I I think it was Eddie Jackson. It might've been Jaquan Brisker. Anyway, they had a defender wide open in open space, ready to tackle Wicks. Defender versus Wicks, one-on-one. Wicks sent that defender, I mean, I don't know, into freaking orbit. The, 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 the stuff Dontavian Wicks did to that defender's ankles is too gruesome for any television show to show. Because holy cow, ankles snatched. Dontavian Wicks sent that defender flying. And that wasn't some lazy linebacker. That was a cornerback or safety that Wicks sent flying. Then, so after he juked out that guy, goes out, jukes out another linebacker. I think it was... Tremaine, or I don't know whether it's Tremaine or Terrell Edmonds on the Bears, but he juked out one of the Edmonds brothers, sent him flying, and then unfortunately got chased down by a lineman, but not before he turned what should have been a gain of, I don't know, minus one into a gain of nine yards. Dontavian Wicks, I, I can't say enough good about this guy. He truly is a pure receiver. And Of course, he can always improve. He has ways to improve. His hands weren't awesome this year. He fumbled a couple of times. Separation can always get better. But if you want to see how to be a top receiver who isn't a top athlete, you want to say, I don't have elite speed. I don't have, you know, the best technically athlete testing time or RAS score or whatever. You want to say, how can I be an elite receiver? Go watch Devontae Adams and go watch Dontavian Wicks. And I'm sure there are other names that I I can throw in there, but these two Packers, Devontae Adams and Dontavian Wicks, they move so freaking well. And I love Dontavian Wicks. He's got to be in the conversation for the biggest steal of the year in this draft. Getting a receiver this good in the fifth round, Goody, you sweet son of a gun. You did it again. uh, Yeah, Pukunakua is definitely up there too. He's looked awesome this year, but... Dontavian Wicks, what a freaking find. What a freaking find for Brian Gutekunst. Other notable player, another receiver, Jaden Reed. All right, let's talk about Jaden. Jaden, officially the second Packers receiver this season to go for over 100 yards in a game. He had 112 yards on four receptions. Those four receptions were pretty massive too. His last reception came at the end of the game, which was an incredible, incredible catch and in in a very big moment. So it was third down. Packers were backed up. At this point, just under six minutes left, just over five minutes left. And The Packers, they're trying to go down and ice this game. They're up 17-9, to doing whatever they can, trying to do whatever they can to go down and ice this game. They're backed up. Third and and three, third and four. Jordan Love drops back to pass, hits Jaden Reed over the middle, and Jaden does an awesome job. 
this play perfectly exhibits one of the things I love about Jaden. It's his receiver ability to hang on to the ball. He gets absolutely smoked, just smoked, but he holds onto the ball, picks up the first down, and the Packers are able to move the chains there. A gorgeous play from Jaden Reed. Creates separation and then takes indoors a massive hit, hangs onto the ball. Another play from Jaden that I loved, his 59-yard reception. What a play this one was. Jaden, he wasn't even supposed to be part of the progression, according to Matt LaFleur, stuttering on my P's there. Uh, After the game, Matt LaFleur said Jaden Reed wasn't even supposed to be a part of this play. But Jordan Love rolls out to his left. Jaden and Jordan just kind of on the same page. Jordan flips his hips, hits Jaden down the sideline, and Jaden does the rest, cuts diagonally across the field, takes it for a 59-yard gain, sets the Packers up single-handedly. Jaden Reed, and with Jordan Love, of course, but more or less single-handedly, Jaden Reed sets the Packers up in field goal range. He's the prototypical elite athlete who can catch at the receiver spot. He doesn't quite have the top-end speed of Christian Watson or, or Bo Melton, for that matter. He's He's a step down, if maybe he's half a step down, because he can fly too, but doesn't quite have that top-tier Tyreek Hill level speed, yet still, you add his speed to his more receiver-esque traits, by which I mean the little nuances in his routes that he uses to, to create separation, or his incredible hands, incredible ability to control his body, you saw it in the toe tap versus Tampa, hang on through contact, all of that, you combine all of that, and you get the massive stud that is Jaden Reed, the guy that they found in the second round who is maybe the best player in that 2023 draft class, and that is saying something. With Dontavion Wicks, Luke Musgrave, I could the list goes on, right? Jaden Reed is ridiculously good, and I love that he's a Green Bay Packer, and he showed out in this game. And then Bo Melton, the last receiver I want to talk about, other than diehards, nobody knew... Even, like, Packers fans didn't know who Bo... Non-diehards, of course. Diehards did, right? We talked about him a little bit in training camp. But, for the most part, Packers fans didn't know who Bo Melton was just four weeks ago. Then, came out, week 16, had some nice plays against Carolina. A couple nice third-down conversions. Week 17, he was the first Packers receiver to break 100 yards in a game this season. And everyone's like, okay, Bo, you got my attention. And now, week 18, he goes 62 yards on five catches, almost had another catch for a touchdown. This one would have, That one would have been swell, and I do think he had the touchdown, but refs didn't call it a touchdown. We talked about that. But he came big. He came up big today on multiple plays, a couple of massive chunk plays, third-down conversions. I guess... The thing I want to say about Bo Melton is what's so impressive is that he can just come up from the practice squad, utilize his speed, but also show a lot of nuance in his routes and understanding of how he's supposed to run this route and go in and contribute right away. And I honestly do not believe that there's a receiver that I don't trust to get open and make a play of the Packers receivers on their active roster. Christian Watson, Dontavian Wicks, Jaden Reed, Romeo Dobbs, Malik Heath, Bo Melton. Tell me who you wouldn't want the ball thrown to at this point in a crucial down and distance. I guess four weeks ago, you probably would have said uh, Malik Heath and Bo Melton, but Malik Heath showed he can be that guy versus New York. Bo Melton showed he can be that guy week 16, week 17, and now this week. The Packers are stacked at receiver. Those receivers showed out today, and I just can't wait till they get Christian Watson back next week. Another player to watch, Jerry Alexander. Now, This is an interesting one. I threw Jair on here because I wanted to talk about uh, just a little bit about how I felt he played. I thought he was locked in 
today. They suspended him, said, you know, go take a week. We kind of need you to reevaluate some things. And I don't think he gave up in this game any receptions. He definitely had some nice pass breakups. And most importantly, I think he was dialed into the tackling game. I Again, I have to go back and watch, and it wasn't anything incredibly massive, but I, I thought Jair played pretty damn well. I thought there was a, a specific play where Khalil Herbert was coming around the edge, and Jair, Khalil Herbert slipped, so... Jair didn't really end up having to do much, but he lowered his shoulder and it looked like he was ready to take Khalil Herbert down. I think Jaw played pretty freaking well coming off his suspension, and I think that's a good sign for the Packers. The last notable player I want to talk about, Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones deserves a statue in Green Bay. I'm just going to say it. Am I kidding? I guess. I guess I'm kind of kidding, but my God, Aaron Jones is the perfect teammate and the perfect Green Bay Packer. He was awesome in this game. Obviously, the play on the field was incredible. Over 100 yards for the third straight game. He's an incredible running back. We know that. He iced the game this week. Uh, It's no coincidence in my mind that the game started off going to Aaron Jones and converting a third down. First play of the game was a pass to Aaron Jones. First third down conversion of the game was a pass to Aaron Jones. And the last play of the game was a nine-yard run or 10-yard run from Aaron Jones to seal the game. No question, he's good on the field. But watching him on the sideline, watching how he's always hyping up guys, you saw it back in week nine where Dontavian Wicks fumbles, Aaron Jones goes right over to him, and Dontavian Wicks, who's hanging his head, gets his head lifted by Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones goes over to him, looks at him, Dontavian Wicks hanging his head, and Aaron Jones lifts it up for him, looks at him, says, hey, you're good, you're fine, don't lose anything. Watch the energy that Aaron Jones brings. Today, it was so cool. He was pumped up. He's dusting off his chest as he's getting first downs. And the Packers at the stadium have this stadium announcer who does the first down sounds. Says, yo, looky here. That's another Green Bay Packers first down. And all the fans point. Do the little first down symbol. And Aaron Jones was doing it right with them. That's another Green Bay Packers. Fans point. Aaron Jones points first down. He is the symbol of the Packers. He is the guy that I want to be on the Green Bay Packers forever. And I know that this is unrealistic. It's unlikely for sure, but I think they should just give Aaron Jones a lifetime contract. That's where I'm at. I mean, this dude took a pay cut to come back. He is to come back to the Packers. He is, he is, oh my God, I love Aaron Jones. I love Aaron Jones. Okay, let's talk about slightly sadder stuff. Injuries, Romeo Dobbs, he jogged to the locker room. I don't think Rome returned at all today, and it was a chest injury. He was walking around. He was even on the exercise bike, but while that's good news, John Kuhn, I think I heard John Kuhn apparently reported that Romeo Dobbs was coughing up blood as he went to the sideline, which is just awful. I hope he's okay. Maybe he'll be back next week for the Dallas game. Whatever. I will say, it's incredible. Romeo Dobbs was out for three quarters of this game. Christian Watson was out today. Bo Melton was the only Packers receiver who wasn't a rookie out there today, and yet the Packers were dominating. On offense, uh, other injury to note, Zach Tom, he had a finger injury. He did return to the game. He was sort of in and out for the first half, I'll say, but it, I think he played the entire second half and finished it out, so a good sign there from Zach Tom. Let's move into my offensive notes. My first offensive note, It's a little bit of a downer. There were some missed opportunities. I just, I have to start just a little bit with the negatives because you had the Anders missed field goal after Dobbs couldn't quite make a catch. You had the field goal that they didn't, they weren't able to get off at the end of the half. And then you had the Jordan Love fumble. So 
the Packers, despite having zero punts in this game, they had three scoreless drives. They went three for six in terms of scoring points per drive, if we include the end-of-game scenario. And that is just... That just shows how many missed opportunities there were for them today. It's been one of the themes of the season. They're lucky it didn't come back to bite them today. I do think it's a it's a sign that this Packers team, they were letting missed opportunities come back to bite them earlier in the season. This game they didn't, I don't think they did, versus Carolina a couple weeks ago. That's a good sign for this team. But regardless, there were missed opportunities. That's my first offensive note. My second offensive note, let's just enjoy this offense cooking just firing on all cylinders because the offense got the ball on six drives, again, excluding the end of game drive where they definitely would have scored points. They ended up scoring points on, yes, just three of those six drives, but they also got to the ball. They also got to the ball. They also got the ball to the 50 yard line or past it on all six of those possessions. They didn't punt once. They marched up and down and up and down. They were held back. Yeah. Two missed field goals or a missed field goal, one they didn't get off, and a fumble, but they were cooking. So how did they do it? Shout out first to the run game. Everything was set up by the run game, and it is becoming so incredibly evident at this point how the Packers having a good run game just takes their offense to the next level. Because from the beginning of the game to the end of the game, the Packers' offense started and ended with Aaron Jones. Again, first third down conversion went to Aaron Jones. Last third down conversion went to Aaron Jones. Everything ran through him today, most of it on the ground. You look at that first touchdown, how did it come? It came off of play action. Packers, they've been running the ball. They were running the ball well against Chicago. Jordan Love, play fake, find Wicks on a crosser off of play action. You look at some of their biggest chunks, an out route to Bo Melton. They had, I don't remember when they had it, but they had it off of play action. Another one, early in the game, massive crosser to Dontavian Wicks. What did it come off of? Play action. The Packers, they were able to move the ball on the ground because the offensive line was moving people and Aaron Jones was cooking. And yes, that's great in and of itself, but the massive key came in that having the success in the run game open things up in the play-action game, and I talked about it. The Packers, I talked about it in the offseason. This Packers offense, at its best, thrives when the run game thrives. The run game thrived today. The Packers offense thrived. So that was the first thing. The first game, the first part, the run game working and play-action working as a result, that was all massive awesome but additionally and this was what took that 2020 offense to the next level you didn't just have this beautiful scheme working in concert the run game play action game you also had stars and the Packers players I'm not going to say they're bona fide stars they definitely aren't bona fide stars like the 2020 team had MVP Aaron Rodgers all pro level Devontae Adams but they have players that I think are becoming stars right in front of our very own eyes and that star and those stars today were too good for Chicago Jordan, we'll talk about him, but he had some lasers beyond even the throws he completed. Some of his incompletions were gorgeous balls. The one to Melton that was dropped in the end zone, the one to Dobbs that was dropped in the end zone. Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, Bo Melton, three other stars. Tucker Craft, Luke Musgrave, two other stars. You put these elite football players together and you make them and you let them play at the elite level that they're playing at. This is the result you're going to get. Again, only 17 points, zero punts on six drives. And Jaquan Brisker had a quote after the game. I think he said, I think he said, 
you know, we should have, we gave these receivers too much space. I have no respect for them over there. And he, the reporter asked him, you know why? And he said, they have no stars. Well, these guys went and bowled out against you like stars. And I'm pretty sure Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, they're going to be stars pretty freaking soon. Jaquan Tucker Craft going to be a star. Luke Musgrave going to be a star. You put these elite football players together, you combine them with an awesome run game and a play action game. You're going to get them being six for six on drives in terms of getting the ball over midfield. Again, that's not the most useful stat, but I think it's relevant today. Zero punts. And the last thing I want to mention, just talking about the offense, let's talk about the Jordan Love to Tucker Craft completion because it was third and eight. And if the Packers get one more first down, they're very, very close to icing the game. Third and eight though, long way to go. Jordan Love does what, I'm just going to say it, we haven't seen a Packers quarterback do in a little while in Green Bay. I guess maybe Rodgers did it back in 2020. But Jordan Love, third and eight, have to have it. Third and eight to go to the playoffs. Jordan Love steps back in the pocket. Not open initially. Nothing's open initially. Doesn't panic. Steps out to his right and finds Tucker Craft. Finds the check down in the middle of the field who is wide open. He finds the check down. He plays in structure, in rhythm. Just takes a couple steps out of structure. Finds the check down. Tucker Craft waltzes, waltzes forward for the first down. And then the Packers get one more first down. Ice the game. That was high-level elite play. That was your offense has carried you from the run game with the run game, with the play-action game. Now we need some stars to go out there and make star-like plays. Jordan Love, Tucker Craft, they say no problem. We'll do it. They do it. Packers end up icing the game. Okay, let's talk about the defense a little bit. The first defensive guy I kind of have to talk about, and I'm sorry, it's Joe Barry. Yes, I'm crediting Joe Barry because Joe Barry didn't screw around this game and... Everything we've criticized for Joe, we've criticized Joe for doing, he didn't do. He just didn't do it. He didn't play his cornerbacks 10 yards off. Instead, played press coverage on the appropriate downs and distances. Third and six or shorter, he was actually playing press coverage. I was shocked. Jair pressing, Keyshawn pressing, Carrington Valentine pressing. It was awesome. He also didn't let Justin Fields run wild like he let Justin Herbert run wild. He was putting a quarterback spy, usually Quay, in there on a lot of plays. And Quay did an awesome job of sticking with Justin and he didn't let Justin Fields destroy them. And then... Even more shockingly, Joe Barry actually brought pressure. He brought some blitzes. He sent Quay at the quarterback a couple of times. This all around was a very impressive day from Joe Barry. And let's make something clear here. I still want Joe gone. It's absurd that it's taken this long to get the defense to play competently, and it's taken this long for him to adjust. That is for him to adjust. That is ridiculous. The Packers should be looking for new defensive coordinators, no doubt in my mind but he adjusted. He adjusted in this game. He adjusted going into this game and it worked. And just for this game alone, Joe Barry was a reason, a big reason they won this football game. He is just a bigger reason that they won this football game as most of the guys on offense. Shout out to Joe Barry. Second, guys, I want to credit the players. We credited Joe. I'm going to credit Joe. He deserves credit, but the players, the defensive players deserve just as much credit, every single one of them. Looking at the secondary, there were a couple of plays that could have been better from Carrington Valentine, Darnell Savage. Carrington just missed an interception, but it was a pretty freaking good day from the secondary on the whole. Jair, excuse me, Jair talked about him. He looked good. I don't think he allowed any completions. Carrington Valentine, he had some awesome 
PBUs, including the near interception. Would have liked to see him grab that for an interception. But regardless, Jonathan Owens, he was flying around. It looked fun. It looked like this Packers secondary was playing with energy. The players were playing very well, and that was awesome. But the biggest thing I want to talk about with this defense is that defensive front. Packers got five sacks. Two of them coming at massive times. One with Devontae Wyatt that knocked Chicago out of field goal range. Another one, I can't remember. Oh, it was actually back-to-back sacks. It was first, mm, I want to say Kenny Clark. Maybe it was Quay Walker getting the first sack, knocking them into second and long. And then Carl Brooks getting another sack, knocking them into third and very long, at which point they threw an incomplete pass, had to go out and punt instead of being in field goal range. It is very difficult to overstate how important knocking the Chicago Bears out of field goal range twice was in a game that was an eight-point game. They hit those two field goals, it's a six-point game, and who knows what else goes wrong. The defensive front, five sacks. Carl Brooks, Lucas Van Ness, Kenny Clark, Devontae Wyatt, Quay Walker, they each had a sack. They played awesome. Rashawn Gary, he wreaked havoc too off of the edge aside from his brutal offside penalty. I thought he played pretty well. And then Preston Smith, he looked awesome too. This defensive front is... Honestly, in my mind, if you said what was the reason the Green Bay Packers won this football game, it was the defensive front. Because the defensive front, and I said it back in the Thanksgiving episode, I said when this defensive front plays well, Joe Barry's defense plays well. Well, guess what? The defensive front played well. Joe Barry's defense played well. In my mind, they're the biggest reason that Green Bay won. The defensive front playing well, players playing well. It's not shocking that they played so well and Joe Barry's defense looked so good. All right, with that, let's move into my players to watch. My first player to watch is Quay Walker. It's a win here for me. I thought Quay played his ass off. I I was drawn to him in the stadium. I was I felt like I was watching him play after play after play because he did he did yeoman's work in there, spying on fields, shutting down the passing game in the middle of the field. There was one play, a long play to DJ Moore, where he was taken advantage of, but that was through no fault of his own. He was left on an island in zone coverage against DJ Moore. Kind of nothing he could do there, right? They ran a crossing play, beat him. Tip your cap to them. He Additionally, he had one tackle for loss, had one sack, led the team in tackles with six. I thought Quay played a hell of a game. So that'll move me to, I think, 11 and 22 on the season in players to watch there. My second player to watch, technically the guy I selected first as my player to watch, but the guy I want to end this episode with, Jordan freaking Love. Jordan Love. And at some point, you got to ask, what more can I say about Jordan Love. Because if we just want to look at this purely from a stats standpoint, we could do this. He, in this game, went 27 for 32, which is over an 84 completion percentage. He had 316 yards, his second game over 300 yards this season. He had two touchdowns, though he probably should have had four. And he had a 128.6 passer rating. Incredible job just in this game from a stats standpoint. He ends the season with over 4,100 yards, which is over in the end, I think he had 4,159, which is over 300 more yards than any Bears quarterback in the history of their franchise has had. He had over 32 touch. No, he had, well, he had 32 passing touchdowns, had over 32 when you include rushing, and he had just 11 interceptions. He threw just one interceptions over his last eight games. This season probably could not have gone any better for Jordan Wolf. I mean, in theory, it could. The stats could always be better, but realistically, there's no way you could have expected, there's no way you could have expected this. And if you had the highest of expectations and you were being realistic, this is probably better than what you expected. The growth, the incredible play, and especially the play he's shown in his last eight games, taking out that New York game, 
this is the Jordan Love that can lead the Packers to multiple Super Bowls. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous the play they're getting out of him. Another guy. At some point, you, you can't just keep saying the Packers keep getting lucky with the way they do things at quarterback. You go from Hall of Famer in Brett Favre to Hall of Famer in, in Aaron Rodgers to really freaking good quarterback in Jordan Love. You can't just keep saying they get lucky. They do something right. So let's talk about Jordan a little bit. Passing prowess. Let's get it out of the way quickly. Yes, he missed a throw or two. I got it. Overthrew, I don't know. I think there were two receivers he overthrew on out routes. There was also the one pass I mentioned where he tried to force it into the end zone. Shouldn't have almost got picked off. Other than that, he was pinpoint accurate. I don't think he really missed any other throws. And he definitely had some ridiculously impressive throws. There was the drop touchdown to Melton. That was maybe his best throw of the game. An absolute seed into a tiny, tiny, tiny window. Had uh, the throw to Dobbs early in the game. Another drop throw that was one of his best uh, of the game. And then from a pure playmaking standpoint, he had that 59-yarder to Jaden Reed, which was the perfect encapsulation of what he brings when things break down. Rolling to his left, Jaden Reed, not in the play, not supposed to be in the play. Regardless, Jordan flips his hips, finds Reed up the sideline, and Reed, who wasn't even supposed to be involved, does the rest, gets the Packers into field goal range. Those two connecting single-handedly. The biggest play of the game, another playmaking play, though, was that third and eight that I talked about, Jordan. The, again, playoffs on the line. Gets out of the pocket, calm, cool, collected, across his body, finds a check down Tucker Craft, waltzes forward first down Packers. Pretty much game over. Game over after they get the, the next third down or first down, whatever. That's that's awesome. Everything he brought from a passing standpoint was awesome. But the the most impressive thing I've seen from Jordan this season is his complete mastery of the offense. And it didn't start out at this level. It's He started out as a good quarterback who knows how to operate this offense. But it's at a level now that you'd expect from a seasoned NFL veteran if they're five, six, seven years into an NFL offense. I mean, Jordan has completely taken the reins and you see it with how smoothly he's operating. He's making all of the right checks. He's making all of the right reads. Hell, even the play where he fumbled, right? I th- I'm pretty sure he made the right read on that play still. I'm pretty sure he made the right read and there was supposed to be a guy open on a screen and yet the receiver didn't run the right route. So he had to pull it, ended up fumbling. He still has a few areas to grow. Fumble's one of them. Sliding is one of them. But good Lord, Jordan's stats this season have easily been Pro Bowl worthy. He should be in the Pro Bowl. He's played like a top five quarterback in the NFL. And I don't think this is telling tales out of school really since week 12 against Detroit. He's the future of the franchise. He is operating this offense at a ridiculously high level with such complete control and mastery that it is difficult not to think about what Aaron Rodgers brought him and how similar it feels like Jordan Love's experience is, is playing into this. How similarly it feels like Jordan Love's experience is playing into this offense's success. That's a better way of saying what I was going to say. He deserves to get paid. He's the dude in Green Bay. He's going to get paid. My God, does he deserve it. And it feels so good for Packers fans that have been there since day one. Day one said, give Jordan a chance. I believe in Jordan. My Freaking God, does it feel good? Does it feel good to have Jordan playing like this? Another win, another win here for me, as that will move me to 12 and 22 on the season. I'm going to have to go back and check what my players to watch record from from last year was, because 12 and 22, I feel pretty good about that. 
Anyway, that's what I have for you in this game. I know it was a long thing. I didn't do any editing in this episode. This is just a full 50-minute clip of me talking, so I hope you enjoyed it. Again, recording this on my phone. That's why the audio is a little bit bad. Recording this in Grandpa's car. Love you, Grandpa. Yeah, hell of a game. Um, Overall, what a game. Packers are playoff bound. It makes me so happy. They did what the 2022 team couldn't do. We'll see you guys on Wednesday when we get to discuss the, the Dallas game. They're going to Jerry World in Dallas to play the Cowboys. I will say, they're playing with house money now. This season is a 100% success. Whatever happens in the playoffs, they're 9-8 and eight with a playoff berth. Again, they did what the 2022 team with far more veterans couldn't do. It's one hell of an accomplishment. And I will say, I think the last team to either be this young or have an offense this young was the Cleveland Browns. Actually, the only other team to ever have either an offense or entire team this young was the Cleveland Browns. You know what the Cleveland Browns record was? 0-16. Packers are 9-8. and eight. Actually, I, I no, this isn't true. I won't say that. Anyway, I was going to say I think Joe Barry was, was the coordinator for the Cleveland Browns when they went 0-16, but I don't think that's, that's true. He was the coordinator for the 0-16 Lions. Anyway, I, 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 guess, I, I guess the best, most fitting way to end this is, is just by saying that it's impossible to give too much credit. Well, it's possible to give too much credit to a lot of people on this team, but it's impossible not to give credit to everyone on this team for fighting out of the two and five hole that they found themselves in. They went six and two down the stretch. Credit to everyone from Jonathan Owens to Darnell Savage to Rudy Ford to Carrington Valentine to Corey Valentine to Jair Alexander to Quay Walker to Devondre Campbell, to Isaiah McDuffie, to Kenny Clark, to Devontae Wyatt, to TJ Slayton, to Preston Smith, to Rashawn Gary, to Rashid Walker, to Josh Nyman, to Ellen Jenkins, to Josh Myers, to John Rennie Jr., to Sean Ryan, to Zach Tom Bombadil, to Luke Musgrave, to Josiah DeGuara, to Tucker Craft, to Ben Sims, to Jaden Reed, to Seawatt, Christian Watson, the GOAT, to Dontavian Wicks, my beautiful throw to Wicks, move the stick separator, to Romeo Dobbs, hopefully he's okay, to Malik Heath, to Bo Melton, to Aaron Jones, Packers legend, ultimate Packer guy, to A.J. Dillon, Quadzilla, to Emmanuel Wilson, to Patrick Taylor, to Adam Stenovich, OC, gonna give him shit when the offense isn't working, better give him his praise when it is. And yes, I'm gonna say it, for his contributions in this game alone, but also in the Minnesota game, even give credit to Joe Barry. And then, undeniably, the most credit, and these are the two where I really feel like it's impossible to give too much credit, if everything's going to fall on these two guys when things are failing, most of the credit has to go to these two guys when things are succeeding. And that is why I want to end this episode by saying it is impossible to give too much credit to Jordan Love and Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur, for what an incredible job he's done turning this team around. What a job. What a, what a freaking job for Matt. That's how I'm going to end this. I love the Packers. I love this team. I love Matt LaFleur. I love Jordan Love, and until Wednesday, go Pat, go!